Hey everyone, what's up? This is Drew Wilson and Karen Flanagan. Welcome to episode number two of Narwhals. Today we're going to be talking about building apps and getting into nitty, the nitty gritty of that. But uh, what's up, Karen? Not much. Not what's much. going on, everybody? It's don't, like, don't respond. <laughs> don't respond. It's like uh, Tuesday night, 8.02 p.m. We decided um, that we wanted to do a show and we're like, let's do a show and let's uh, put it out. And uh, we're not really going to follow a schedule like everybody else does. So if that really annoys you, I'm terribly sorry. But it's kind of fun for us just to uh, get on and talk to each other and discuss about stuff and hear hear your feedback on Twitter and talk about things whenever we want to. And uh, I don't know we're kind of be we're trying to be authentic with the show, and I think this hopefully adds to that. Um, so hopefully you'll see shows a little more regularly than other other shows. Um, but cool, we're going we're gonna to dive into it and kind of talk about our process in building stuff and what we actually use. And, and like Karen said when we were talking uh, earlier, a little more than just advice, we're actually going to give some insight and tips and stuff. So hopefully you guys can take some stuff away. Um, yeah, so Kieran, Yo. you build for the web and for iOS. I do. And... Uh, a little thing called Swifty Poo came out recently. Swift. <laughs> we, we go way back. You go way back. You've been a Swift developer for like five years. <laughs> it's, a, it's a ridiculous amount of experience that yeah. I bring to the table. <laughs> so um, I know there's for sure a lot of people listening to this podcast who either do develop for iOS or want to get into it, especially now that Swift came out and right. iOS 8, you know, being a designer, seems more approachable. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your stack in iOS development, what's your go-to stuff, Yeah, and then also, maybe after you're done with that, talk a little bit about um, Swift and, and what you've experimented with, experimented with there so far. Yeah, I definitely think uh, there, there seems to be this general consensus with Swift that it's more approachable. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with it. I've played with it a little bit. Uh, I've, built, I've built one app in it so far. Uh, I just can't release it yet. I kind of didn't think about that as I was building it. <laughs> I know I've got no point where it's like it's it's done. I just need to put a bow on it. Yeah. Uh, but instead of that, I now have to shelve it for a couple months, which is kind of funny. Uh, Bummer. It's awesome. I, I really enjoy it. Actually, programming in Swift that is. Um, I, I'm I'm really not sure. I do think it's a great time to get started. Obviously, if you're looking to get an iOS development, like what better time than now? Well, don't uh, you think it like? I think the uh, the reason people are attracted is it looks familiar. It looks, and I think I think that's what it is. I think it's more appearance based than anything, yeah, right? Because yeah. that's what uh, when it got announced, I feel like my Twitter feed blew up with uh, designers saying, yeah, "Holy crap! Holy pills! I can be a <laughs> I can be a uh, an iOS dev now." Uh, before actually hearing what it is or, or taking a look at it, and then all the iOS developers were just quiet because they were scratching their heads. What do um, I do now? Yeah, wait, wait a now, second. I'm a novice. Oh, hold on. Um, but I do actually really enjoy it, and I do think it's really it's uh, it's really slick. And it's uh, if you're looking to get into it, now is a great time to get into it. Um, but yeah, anyway, back to non-Swift. Um, I've been I've been doing iOS. I kind of started in web. I started web front end, and then kind of fell back into uh, some back end dev on web. Was doing a lot of Apache, uh, PHP, MySQL. Uh, and then when two, in 2008, when the iOS SDK actually came out, uh, I kind of I immediately jumped on that shift and, and have been doing that ever since, which is 
uh, not counting, you know, Mac Dev, not counting uh, Next programming. Uh, it's about as long as you can be doing iOS Dev. Um, You're so, an OG, original gangster for all the nerds who don't know what that term is. That's what we call ourselves, <laughs> I- IOSG. Oh, I- I-O- dang. Something like that. Um, so, yeah, that it, 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 my advice, if you were looking to get started in iOS, it is so much easier to get started in 2014 than it was in 2008. <laughs> uh, I mean, just the, the amount of resources readily at your fingertips, uh, not, n- not even counting just Googling something. Um, yeah, back in 2008, they, is Apple, overwhelming. Had, Apple had a PDF. Yeah. Yeah, SDK documentation <laughs> was a PDF you had to download, and it was four pages long. <laughs> And a crazy NDA. Like, you <laughs> couldn't find... One, there wasn't anything out there yet anyway, but two, you couldn't even talk about it. Um, it, was a, it was a crazy time. I'm actually surprised I got through that, uh, just because I was never, a, I was never a, a, a developer. I kind of stumbled backwards into PHP and uh, that whole stack, so it was kind of an interesting push to get through it. And I mean, now, now I'd, I'd say iOS Objective-C, at least, is my bread and butter. Uh, so it's kind of funny how it happens, but yeah. so maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's something to actually figure it out yourself. But um, anyway, and I'm, joke, great, I'm joking, by the way, it. about the PDF thing, just so anybody doesn't take that literally. <laughs> it's uh, it, it was it was about equivalent. It was yeah, it, it, something similar. Um, yeah. What was the other? Yeah. So what was y- the second part of your question. Well, what is your stack? What is what is your go-to stuff on iOS? Like when you. When an idea pops into your little brain and you say, I'm going to make something, uh, <laughs> what, what do you do from that point forward? So my general uh, procedure is uh, I'm, still, <laughs> I'm still designing in Photoshop, which uh, I feel like a lot of people aren't anymore. Um, I feel like a lot of I people am. have... Good. So, all right, we've got the Photoshop podcast. That's what this is. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have either jumped onto the sketch train or uh, I know a lot of people who still do all their UI work or now do all their UI work in Illustrator. Quark Express. Uh, which is sweet. And yeah, Quark Express <laughs> uh, in Illustrator, which I, I do use. I do incorporate, obviously, but it's uh, I don't stay there primarily. I can't. I can't get that. Like, I use Illustrator all the time, every day, but I do it for like... Straight up vector work like logos, yeah, exactly. branding and stuff. But Photoshop has s- such good vector tools, such good vector tools that I don't know. I like anything I do in Photoshop. I never do anything raster. It's always vector. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's great for that. I think I was. I also did tons of sketch work for a few clients this year. And I don't know. There's just what were your thoughts? Uh, it's it's a great app, and I will continue to buy new versions just because I want to support them because for sure. indie develop indie developers and. Um, and I get that, but for me, it just doesn't work. Like, I rely on my speed in order to get things done, and yeah. um, you know, it's a new learning curve, right? But once you get over that, it's fine. But the the fact that the zoom doesn't work, like when you try to zoom stuff, it, like takes forever, and then all of a sudden you're zoomed in and you're nowhere near where you zoomed in, zoomed into. You're like way in the bottom left corner. You're like, what the heck? And it literally never works right, not even once. And um, unless you go up and you click the zoom button. And this, I zoom so much that it just literally it's unusable. So that right. and a couple other things like that um, make it a productive productivity killer for me. And yeah. I rely on being fast, so I just I, can't do it. I'm in the same boat. I gave it a shot for the better part of a, a week when it came out, and everyone was doing it. 
Uh, and I do think, I, th- I feel like everyone's general opinion of people who like it say that for what it is, for what it does, it's great. It's a great tool. And I agree with that. I think it's a very good, strong tool. And like you said, I'd like to continue to support them. Um, but yeah, for me, it was not, uh, for it to kind of take a, a foothold in my uh, flow, it had to replace something and it didn't. It just was like, a, it was in a supplemental tool. And I, I'm not in the market for, a, for an add-on. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Like you said, I'm 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 faster. I need to be faster. People always uh, talk about Photoshop crashing, but I don't know. It's crashed on me like two times in the last like three years. So I don't really experience that. I save often, I guess, but now it auto saves, so I don't really understand the big deal about it. But it would be annoying if it crashed all the time. Sketch crashed way more on me than Photoshop. Did, yeah. But. Yep. And I don't, I don't know. As long as it auto saves, I don't really care. It's just like, oh no, it's gone now. I double click and open it again. Who cares? Um, but right. Yeah, it's, uh, it was, I mean, I legitimately tried to switch over and it's just definitely not going to happen. Not that Photoshop's perfect or anything like that by any means, but for me, it's like night and day difference better. So Yeah, no, I'm in the same, same boat. Um, so yeah, I usually start, I usually start in Photoshop. I, I know a lot of people start on pen and paper and they still, they swear by that. I, I'm like, we're saying speed wise and just efficiency wise and getting thoughts out. Uh, I do it in Photoshop. Uh, once I get to it, if I'm doing an app for a client or a potential client, I, I will typically then go into some sort of uh, kind of pared down uh, wireframes, um, either still in, usually still in Photoshop. Uh, that kind of drops some of the style and just kind of focuses on on UX uh, to actually give me something to present. If I'm doing something for myself, I completely skip that step. Uh, uh, if for no other reason than I'm usually just anxious to start building the thing. And I know I can build faster than I can prototype. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But obviously that works when you're building for yourself. If you're building for a client, I, like, I can't recommend that proto- prototype uh, phase enough. It's, it, it's priceless. Indeed. And then I build the thing. Then you build it, and it's just done. So, what do you use? So, like, you're gonna, you, what do you use? Obviously, you use Xcode. You don't use Amarin or anything like that, right? So you pull Xcode all the way. You pull up Xcode, and then you um, do you use any? I don't know any boilerplate stuff or any little projects. Yeah, I usually uh, I use CocoaPods. Uh, I think every app I've ever made since it came out, CocoaPods has been my uh, my manager. Uh, Cocoa Pods is great, but when you share projects with people, the version of Cocoa Pods is different. It's like the biggest pain. Yeah, true. <laughs> so it is painful. kind of weird. And I've I've struggled. Maybe I just don't understand it enough. But I've struggled also with if I'm uh, if I'm like making a a fork of some existing framework, and then I'm trying to somehow push that back up. Uh, yeah, it, when collaborating with others, others it gets kind of hairy every once in a while. Um, yeah. But I usually use Cocoa Pods if I'm doing. Uh, you know, heavy uh, networking stuff. I'll, I usually uh, turn to to Matt Thompson's uh, AF networking, um, which is huge. That's kind of my biggest, probably my biggest go to uh, third party framework. AF networking that handles all of the communication via HTTP for your app. It does. It yes. handles. It handles a lot. And he, for those that don't any- know, CocoaPods is a package manager for um, Mac development, iOS development. For development in Xcode, basically. And so when you're, just like on the web, if you want, like Ruby has gems, and then there's um, 
What's Ruby's package manager called? They have a couple, right? Uh, there's for what, there's npm on uh, that's node. node right? Yeah, that's nodes. What's Ruby's one called? I can't remember. RV. R, what is it? It's it can't fit to my town. See, RVM. Yes, RVM. Yeah. So they have a package manager. There's a couple of them though, and um, and what that is, in case you're not familiar, it just if you want to say, say for instance, to make it really dumbed down, if you wanted to put jQuery inside of your web project, instead of going to jQuery's website and downloading it, you can use a package manager. Now there's a couple front-end development package managers for the web, um, like Bower and a couple other ones, to pull Bower. in. What was that? Bower. That was, that was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. To uh, pull in um, projects, and it will manage it for you, so you can on the command line or however you want, if there's a UI f- for it, some apps have a UI for that kind of stuff. Uh, you could pull in jQuery, and it will manage it for you, and that when it's updated, it'll update it for you, and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. It puts it in separate folders, and then you call those folders in your code. And so it's super helpful when you're um, going to use a lot of open source software. Uh, you don't have to manage any of that stuff yourself. It's all handled for you. And it's there's ways to do it with PHP. There's ways to do it with Ruby, uh, with front-end, like I said, with Bower, um, front-end web. And then also um, Xcode has got one called CocoaPod. It's not made by the Apple or anything, but um, it's called a package manager. Sorry to go on that tangent, but I just feel like not everyone knows yeah. what that is. Throw down the definitions. It's good. Yeah. Uh, those are my so th- that's definitely my my go to stack depending on what I'm doing. Uh, there's a couple other frameworks I kind of use here and there depending on on what sort of app I'm building, but um, that's usually it. And it's uh, it's been Objective C up to this point. I've done a little bit with the Reactive Cocoa stuff, which is cool, um, uh, especially if you're building something that uh, that needs some some bindings or something that you don't have. And Reactive iOS. Cocoa, that's just like an event based. Uh, framework for Let, let's get you the let's get you the definition let's get you a good definition a framework for composing and transforming streams of values that's mm-hmm. good yeah i don't know what that means but i think it's supposed to be like event based i don't know but it's yeah the, the the most uses i've seen out of it are usually trying to i'm sure it does plenty else and i'm, I'm sure everyone can chime in uh on twitter or something with with uh, exactly how, how powerful it is but when i've seen it used it's for emulating what's available on the mac side which is coco bindings for for getting updates when when things change and when things uh are, are moving and shaking which ios doesn't uh outrightly support uh, ah. So reactive coke is kind of a kind of a nice little solution, and like I said, I'm sure it's super powerful. Yeah. Um, so if you're familiar, peeps, if you're familiar with uh, working with JavaScript on the on the web on the front end or on the back end with Node.js um, events, this is what we're talking about. So when you write some code and you put it in uh, in a function and you call an event every time something happens, that function runs. This is event based, and it's a very good way to do stuff. It is. It's pretty neat. Uh, and then once the app's done, I usually, or if I'm doing a, if I'm sending out test builds to to other people, uh, I usually use TestFlight. Uh, some people use Hockey. Uh, Me. To, you you use Hockey. You're mm-hmm. the one guy. And then <laughs> I uh, and then once it's done, I I, I ship it. So that's kind of my go to go to app stack. And and people, by the way, TestFlight and. Uh, TestFlight and Hockey App were competitors until TestFlight was 
acquired by Apple what last year? Late last earlier year? this year. Or earlier this year, okay. And and they <laughs> when they were acquired they killed off their Android support. <laughs> but what it is is it's, <laughs> as you do. Yeah. <laughs> as you do when you're acquired by Apple. Uh, what it is it's a way uh, right when when Apple's SDK came out and the App Store came out, there really wasn't any way to easily send your beta builds of your uh, of your app to other people to install on their devices. You had to make up your own little certificate thing, and it was a nightmare. Yeah, it was, it was a huge nightmare. Yeah, because Apple's super locked in; their devices are super locked in. So to install an app on an Apple system, and you're just what are you? You're just some third party developer, like. There's no way it's going to be let in. So you have to like make these certificates that people would have to install on their phones or provisioning profiles. Someone have to install on their phones and all this kind of kind of stuff. And um, it, yeah, it's a nightmare. So TestFlight and Hockey App were created to alleviate those pains. And you can you can create an account there, upload your beta build of your app, and then add people. Unfortunately, because the way Apple is, you can add people in Hockey, but then you also have to go into Apple's iTunes Connect and add people and devices there. Which you're not going to have to do now that yep. if you use TestFlight, yep. it's now all that, going to be... Now that TestFlight is soon to be, it's not done yet, right? No, not done. Yeah. iOS 8, it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's supposed to be that instead of having to add into TestFlight or Hockey and then going and adding those people also in um, iTunes, people that you can you know just with a tap of a button send your um, app to and they can download it easily. Uh, now, because Apple finally decided they're going to respect developers... Uh, <laughs> that was the theme. That was the theme of this past yeah, WWDC. Is like now we respect they just developers. neglect developers and they and they just pretend that they like them. Every every WWDC is such, so stupid. They're the worst company for taking care of their developers. But anyways, um, uh, now with TestFlight, the way it's going to be is you can just add people once because Apple uh, will integrate TestFlight into their iTunes Connect and or their um, member center, and you won't have to worry about that. And it'll be even easier to get people beta builds. And supposedly they're going to even do what was the other cool thing they're going to do? Um, up, not upgrades. Um, re, not refunds. What was the other one they're going to do? The people who asked for forever. Um, uh, poos. Uh, you got me. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, I know that they were talking. They were going to bump up the for the longest time when we've been uh, needing to get builds discounts. out to people. Discounts. Sorry. Oh, discounts. Yeah. Discounts. There it is, but. Uh, one person. thing I was going to say is that they're adding uh, more device support now. They're, I think it's bumping up to a thousand, which yeah. is nice. Because up to this point, we've been stuck to one hundred, a uh, hundred for the longest time, and that's like per year. So if you're yep. building, if you're building apps for multiple clients throughout the year, and they're each taking up you know fifteen devices or twenty devices or, or however many, uh, you kind you run out of space quick. And then for the uh, previous company that I was at, uh, we had to juggle like four different. Apple licenses, all internal, just because we needed the space for devices. It was such a pain. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Apple, and just for years, literally years upon years, like 2008 till now, and it's still not even out yet, just does does not care <laughs> at all. They don't care. <laughs> it's, it's about to get a lot better. Yeah. So hopefully now they do care. Um, yeah, disrespectful. Uh, anyways. Okay. Well, okay. Cool. So that's that's your iOS stack. That's your go-to whammy jammies. That's how you get your apps on the what, app store. What's your stack? Your turn. People are always asking. Well, well now I want to find about some Swifty Swifts. Uh, Swifty. Swifties. Have you experimented to the point where I don't know you've used any open source stuff with Swift or? 
Uh, I haven't. Luckily, the, well, not luckily, but the app that I built, uh, which is actually just this this kind of fun little card game. I already have a card game out called Hearts, which was a uh, it was kind of an experiment just to see if I could build out the AI logic behind a, a Hearts game, mm. uh, which was kind of fun. Uh, but now it's like just to kind of u- reuse some of the same themes and, and and styles from that. I decided, well, I'm just gonna I'll just make another card game. Uh, so I built just this little solitaire engine entirely in Swift uh, as an experiment. So I used uh, uh, the Sprite Kit, which is uh, iOS's uh, native like physics engine, uh, 2D, very fairly low level. You're not going to be building, uh, you know, some some massive 3D multiplayer uh, at a Sprite Kit. But mm-hmm. for a card game or for a Flappy Bird or an Interstellar Boundary Dodger, it's pretty sweet. It's it's actually kind of kind of perfect. Um, so getting to integrate that and some of the updates that they've done, along with just learning Swift as I was going, uh, was kind of cool. So alongside that, I didn't have to in- integrate any third party stuff. I didn't have to uh, struggle with compatibility between frameworks that hadn't updated to support Swift. Um, it was actually kind of straightforward. The only thing that was limiting me was me, <laughs> me figuring out how I was, uh, what I was writing as I was going and all the extra at symbols that I was accidentally typing everywhere. Um, <laughs> I'm just seeing strings. It's like an afterthought, man. <laughs> this is this. Yeah. If, if there's like one takeaway, everyone's initial takeaway was, uh, holy, holy pills, uh, is what they said to me. We get to use, uh, emoji <laughs> yeah. as like variable names and stuff. And, uh, the very next thing they all said was, oh, strings are all of a sudden really sweet to work with. Yeah, uh, like just, a normal language. <laughs> yeah, just like a normal <laughs> anything that you've ever done in the past five years, yeah. Swift is like uh, on board with. Um, yeah. So no, so far my experience has been really good. Swift is Swift is pretty sweet. It's worth checking out. Apple has their own uh, iBook that they released uh, mm. right when they announced it that is a, a really well put together uh, document that you should you should take a look at and you can throw it on your iPhone and and read it while you're that's what in I keep hearing it's really well put together I can't imagine that, yeah but I guess so yeah like they they respect us now right look at that they're like they do bring in lots of money <laughs> <laughs> we can't afford to pay one fellow to do this yeah I know <laughs> so dumb um, oh man oh, I hate that as well oh um, so Objective C a little history was created uh, when Steve Jobs built his company after he got fired from Apple, Next. And the big thing that he was working on there, which is what made Next cool, wasn't the hardware, it was uh, the operating system and the development of Objective-C. So he made Objective-C. Object-oriented languages were the hotness at the time. And then then Apple purchased... um, Purchased the operating system next, uh, and with that, you know, they then used Objective C for everything. So we're talking 80s. It's been around, so it's been around for a while. A, a ridiculously old language. Yes, yes. And um, so anyhow, it's great that they've updated and kind of cool that they just like cold turkey just like switched over. Of course, you know, Objective C will be supported for a very long time, um, but it's not going to be built upon any, well, not that it was built upon, but I mean, all of their new tech, I feel like a couple of years from now, um, they may even fully break away from, because right now some of the Swiss stuff binds to some of the Objective-C or, or the framework 
in Objective C, right? Yeah, there, it, and I guess now that we're on beta, whatever the heck we're on now, um, it's gotten significantly better. But I, at least in the beta two or whatever it was when I was building, uh, when I had my excursion into Swift, there was a lot of things that you still couldn't even do purely in Swift yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of a good example, but I, I think I was trying to do something with, I was trying to call some array function that just was it didn't exist. I had to do yeah. like a, a toll-free bridge or, or, or whatever they call it over to uh, Objective-C just to get it to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, think, might be, that might be changed. It might be finished. Obviously, it was, it's still in beta. So it's every beta yeah. that comes out, Swift has changed quite significantly, oh, wow. uh, especially the last two. Yeah, I think, I think obviously what they are going to do is move away completely from Objective-C. And, but there's a lot of code in, in their frameworks that are all written in Objective-C, so it's going to take a while. But eventually, they'll get to the point where, um, yeah, you can use the old frameworks from Objective-C, but there's no reason to because all the new hotness they're going to come out with is just going to be Swift only. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe they'll do something else. That's just my assumption. Right. But, um, yeah, it, 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 made, they, like Cold Turkey decided... No more Objective C, solid Swifts, and all going forward. So it's kind of crazy for a company that size, and with the amount of developers and apps they have to do. But that's cool, and that no, and that no one saw it coming. Like, yeah, I know. It. Like that's why everyone all the I was and saying, Switch has been around since 2011, right? Yeah, it's been it's been in, de- in development for quite a while. Yeah, but it's I, like yeah, when I was saying my Twitter feed of developers, like everyone was silent. Yeah, yep. It's like nobody nobody saw that coming. The Undertaker. Um, Real quick before we talk about um, my stuff, I just wanted to mention to everybody, uh, someone told us uh, after our last podcast that if you go to getnarwhal.com, there is an iOS app. I don't know if it's in Swift. Probably not. <laughs> um, uh, it's, an, it's a Reddit reader for iOS 7 and 8 and 8, I'm sure, soon. But... Um, called narwhal so it's a reddit reader so if you're into reddit or whatever i still i think i maybe looked at that site once um but uh a lot of people i know are into it so if you are go to get narwhal.com i don't really know who's behind it or anything someone just tweeted to us and i thought it was cool because we got the same name we're just gonna share names so you should check that out and um let's see oh okay cool so i guess i'll just talk a little bit about my process um so I am not, I would not consider myself an iOS developer, but I'm a web developer. I have made my own iOS apps. Some of them, or I made, I made a Mac app partially all on my own. And then I did an iOS app just recently all on my own called um, Off Of. But typically when I do iOS apps, I partner with people. Um, because, you know, like if you want to sit down and learn Maya and you don't know Maya, you're just like, gosh, dang it, I don't want to take the time. <laughs> so that's how I felt about Objective-C. But now that Swifty Poo is out, I'll take a, a deeper look at it. Um, anyhow, I built off of recently, and that's an Objective-C. So once I get some free time, I'm going to switch over to Swift and so I can experiment with that and wrap my head around it more fully. But my expertise is in the web, and um, that actually is super, super, super useful when it comes to making iOS apps uh, because a lot of the stuff that, a lot of apps you would think of would require some sort of web backend. Um, For instance, Apple just came out with this 
radical new, um, I guess, service called uh, CloudKit that they're going to yeah they're, yeah, they're going to come right. out with with iOS eight, which essentially is Parse.com. If you've seen Parse.com or Firebase.com, or maybe it's GetFirebase.com. There's a bunch of these other backends as a service. So there's like software as a service, platforms as a service. And these are backends as a service, basically just a REST API ready to rock and roll for you and storage ready to rock and roll for you. So you don't have to write that yourself with authentication, all that kind of stuff. So you, you know, all the bread and butter basics. <clears throat> so a lot of people have built apps with Parse and, other, and all that kind of stuff. So they don't have to code any web server. It's just done for you and you right. just kind of hook into it. Which is really nice. It's really nice, but at the same time, um, it's kind of scary because when, you, when you're working with an app idea, you're like, man, what if this goes big? And that's the whole like, push. Man, let's get this to go big. And right. if it goes big, you want to make sure that your servers are working all snazzy pants. And you also want to make sure that you have uh, the ability to, to do anything you want to do with your data set. Right. Um, and that becomes a little more difficult when you're working with somebody else's API, like Parse's API or something. If uh, at some point you realize there's something you need to do in Parse that mm-hmm. you can't do, that is just not supported, you're kind of stuck, right? Yeah. How, how are you getting off of Parse? Exactly. Then you're in the headache of, wow, okay, so now I need to split out this thing into a separate server and somehow integrate with Parse, and now I have to change my iOS up to you know, send this data here and that data there, and it just becomes this headache, right? So people, I think, when they look at those backends of service, if they're anything like me, they see, this would be so cool if I didn't want this to get big. <laughs> but if you think about <laughs> right. Because it's not that it can't handle going big. Of course it can. It's just you don't know what the future holds for your app. And if you want to make significant changes when it gets big, like you're kind of hosed. So I think it starts starts getting expensive, too, because you're you're paying for like users total. So it's not even this money that you can directly put into beefing up your server. You're paying for just how much how many uh, users what your user count is. So it's not even necessarily knowing that the money you're putting in is is even benefiting you. You're just paying for this extra this extra tier uh, yep. of the service now. Yep, yep. No, totally. And it's uh I don't know. I think it's 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 kind of obviously not everybody uses it because of the fact that if you look like their at their clients, you know, their client page and if you look at Firebase and everything, not a lot of um popular things use them or at least they're not able to showcase popular things that use them. Um which many other companies are able to. So it kind of makes me think that not a lot of big apps use them for this very reason. So anyhow, a lot of people would say, yeah, let's just use parts, throw it up there or whatever. Um, but probably not. Now, Apple's thing would be ultra killer because you know it's going to stay in sync with the tech stack that they have in their iPhone. And it's going to be... It, the difference is, is it's CloudKit is on the phone, Right. Everything's on the phone. You're not doing network requests for everything. When you're sending data to their servers, yes, there's network requests going on, but a lot of the API and stuff that's happening on the phone, like it's using local storage and all that kind of jazz out of the box. Whereas parse, everything is over HTTP. Um, And so you get the benefit of speed there with CloudKit. However, dun, 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 (laughs) because of the fact there's no REST API with CloudKit and there probably never will be, you can't use any of your data to show a web page or to to use on Android. So, for instance, if you were building an Instagram clone, yeah, sure, all your photos would be stored in Apple's cloud, all that kind of stuff. You could view them in the app. You could view your Instagram pages, other people's profiles. But if you want to have a profile page on the web, good luck, you're hosed. 
It's not going to happen. There's no way to access that data, at least right now, and probably it won't ever happen. Uh, with CloudKit, you can't access the data over HTTP on the web. It's only from your phone using CloudKit, or only from the phone using CloudKit. It's very, I think, I've, I've t- taken a look at it a little bit. I want an excuse to play with it, because I think it is, I think CloudKit is super powerful. Mm-hmm. But you are pointing out like the the biggest flaw is by far the fact that you're kind of your, your platform stuck, right? You can't yeah. ever go build an Android app with the same uh, data set. You can't take it to the web. I I kind of feel like at some point there will be an API available for web use, but who's to say? Yeah. Um, the the cool parts are like you're saying. You kind of get this added benefit of uh, of the fact that it, it it is running on your phone, and you have. Uh, iCloud integration, like you can actually authenticate yep. people via their iCloud profiles. They can use their Touch ID to just log them in without ever even uh, dealing with who they are or a password. Yep. Or oh, dude, it'd be so ideal. It'd be so ideal if they if they ever come out with an a REST API, then I would use it because yeah, you could still use that in Android. You could use a REST API because then it's just right. like Parse. But as of right now. You can't. And if you're going to start a new business right now, it's kind of risky to assume that hopefully they will one day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. So um, anyhow, I would not suggest using that. And I would not suggest using Parse. And I would not suggest using any of those other things. If what would you use? Man, I would roll my own because that's uh, the only other option. It is. It's the only other option. So the only other option is to do what I do, which is to just get an extraordinarily awesome and cheap digital ocean server. For $5 a month, you can start on their lowest tier. And then with a click of a button, you can upgrade you know, later on. And um, if you know what you're doing, you can, uh, you can set it up so that way you're using multiple servers and it's uh, low bounce and all that kind of jazz. There's, there's even uh, little add-ons to do that kind of stuff um, or third-party add-ons with DigitalOcean. But um, what's great about DigitalOcean is it's a raw box which might sound intimidating, but really it's so great because you get to choose the OS to install, then you get to log in and add in all your security measures, install MySQL or whatever you're going to use. and So that way you can just have only what you need on your box and it's super slim. You're not losing, using Plesk or some other poop like that, like most, literally most every other single host on the planet Earth uses and just a resource hog and terrible. Anyhow, <clears throat> it's so rad. I love DigitalOcean. I've moved over nearly all of my stuff the only stuff that's not over there is stuff that's super low priority um but anyhow it's so great because you can just make you can use whatever you want like you want to use ruby on rails you want to use your own framework you want to use laravel with php node.js uh, meteor whatever you want to use you just you know code it out all locally use github sync it up to your server boom it's deployed it's ready to rock and roll super easy you know if you use github um the way I do it, like a lot of people will will write a um, a script to put on their server uh, that um, checks GitHub and checks your repo, or vice versa. Re- uh, GitHub pushes to your server, but I don't really like that because to me that seems kind of insecure. Because if someone gets your GitHub password, then they can do whatever they want to your web server. Um, so I would suggest not doing that. What I do is I uh, I log into my server, not with a password, but with a with a with my SSH key on my computer you can't actually log into my servers at all unless you have the ssh key and which is great because you don't have to ever enter a password anyways DigitalOcean has all this stuff on their site and then i log into my web server and then i pull from github and uh, then all my stuff is synced up so have you ever have you ever set up uh git hooks 
to kind of do kind of do the same thing automatically. I've I've only apparently they've been around for a while. I've only set this up for the first time recently on a on a web project that I just did, and it kind of does that for you, right? Where it's like it can actually just listen for every time that you make a git push to that remote. So you would set up your DigitalOcean as a remote on that repository, and you would push to it. Then you'd set up a hook on that server that would actually then, on every push, do what needed to be done. Uh, so it would push it, it would, to GitHub. It would reset it. So no, you'd be pushing it out to your DigitalOcean server as a remote. So GitHub would be your your one oh, that's remote, cool. and then you would also have production or whatever you'd call your DigitalOcean that's remote. Cool. That's and you could cool. push to it and then set up a hook, a Git hook that actually then does something. So if you're in Node and you need to restart the server or whatever it is you're doing, you can actually set that up to to happen uh, automatically. Yeah, that's right. worth looking at. Yeah, that's right. Kind of yeah, cool. It's um, like with, with Ruby or with Node, you definitely need to, every time you change stuff, you have to re- uh, reset your server or restart your server. But um, most of my stuff is in PHP just because that's what I grew up doing, I guess I'll say. And Bread so, and butter. Yeah, so it's just faster for me to get stuff out. I know, even though I personally think it's not very good <laughs> of a language, <laughs> if you use any of their functions, just the naming scheme alone, the fact that they don't even have any consistency in their naming is just ridiculous. But um, most of the stuff I do is super, super ultra lightweight, and I have my own framework that I've made years and years ago, and every time I make a new app, I just improve it a little bit, improve it a little bit. And so for me to to launch an API to use with an iPhone app is it takes hardly any time whatsoever. And I start from scratch on everything, so that way the API um, is super, super ultra-tailored to the app itself. Um, and so I spend a lot of time developing that kind of stuff, but it's great because um, everything does only what it needs to do and nothing more. And, uh, and if something goes wrong, there's only a couple places where it will go wrong. I actually don't use any open-source software on all of my apps like any um, other than... Like, uh, you know, the stuff that comes bundled with PHP, obviously, MySQL, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I don't use any, uh, like, I don't know what they're called on PHP, but on Ruby they'd be called gems. Um, so I don't use any of that stuff, actually, because I don't need to because everything's just so lightweight. And just over the years I've written my own functions and stuff like that in classes. So, anyhow, um, it's super easy for me to just be like, yo, I need an API. Boom, 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 boom. Open up DigitalOcean, code it all out get it up there, then my iPhone app can sync with it. And, um, and then if I ever do want to add Android, I don't, I don't literally have to touch my web stack whatsoever because it already has an API. I just have to make the right. Android app work with it. Um, and then if I do need to make any changes, however outlandish they need to be, uh, for me, there's only a few spots where I, where I would need to change that because my framework is basically tailored towards me and not general use for everybody. So it's super lightweight. And uh, then, you know, make the changes to my iPhone app for it. And it ends up just becoming so much faster to make uh, changes. The only downside is, is you have to know what the poop you're doing on a server. Uh, but you can, you can easily, you know, have a, uh, a biz partner or a dev partner do that for you. Um, obviously, a biz partner in that case would be a dev partner. But, um, uh <laughs> Yeah, so you, there's there's you know ways around that. People ways around that. You know, there's ways to get help to do that. And then of course, when it comes to getting huge, the disadvantage there is you have to know and manage uh, the servers 
uh, when you when you expand. But I could tell you from experience, unless you get Angry Birds big or something, you're really not going to need to worry about that kind of stuff. Like computers these days, including servers, are pretty freaking powerful. Right. Uh, the only thing you got to worry about is your database. Just make sure that you have that on multiple servers and that it's every, you know, that it's constantly being um, exported and saved down elsewhere. Um, but as long as you get your database exported, saved down elsewhere automatically, um, you're golden. You know, you're golden. If you get if you're if you're big enough to a point where this is a genuine a genuine concern. You're probably uh, you're probably okay. Like that's a good problem to have. You yeah, know, you'll be you'll be able to to cross that bridge. If you're if you're playing you know, the, when you get to it. Yeah, if you're playing the Silicon Valley game, that means that you have no way to make money, and it just means you have a lot of users. So you got to go. So you got to go talk that's to some investors to get money to hire someone. Or if you're not playing the Silicon Valley game, you're getting huge. That means you're probably making a lot of money, so you can just hire someone yourself. Um, but yeah, either way, it's a good problem to have for sure. And I would definitely not fear that whatsoever. I would definitely not be afraid of it. Um, as a matter of fact, the Valley celebrates failure. If somebody comes out with an app and it just falls flat on its face, uh, that they'll get a lot of bad press. But then suddenly they have a name and they can do whatever they want. You know, right. so I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. Not that that's a bad thing. I think people should celebrate anyone taking risks. So if you failed, I, I'm all for that. Like definitely, you did something cool by you know trying. So. But I wouldn't let any. I, I would suggest don't be afraid of of this kind of stuff at all. Go for it. Um, but rolling your own, I'm massively in favor of that. There's even easier ways to do it. Like if you were to get on Heroku, for instance, um, that you can code your own stuff in Ruby. I think they support Node too now, or yeah. or Joint, which actually owns Node.js now. Uh, if you go to Node.js.org, Joint is another uh, web host. Even I, I just built my portfolio. Uh, I kind of did an update to it a month or two ago, and just just did it in Node, just for kicks, just to have an excuse to do to build something in Node. Um, mm-hmm. And I put it up, threw it up on EC2. Super easy. Yep. Yep. Super easy. Yep. So that's Amazon EC2. He's talking about there. And if you use Heroku, they have a lot of really easy ways to interact with S3, but it's not like point and click easy. Um, there, there are other platforms as a service. Uh, that are point and click easy for developing. So there's tons and tons of options. Um, so the difference between a backend as a service and platform as a service, a backend as a service goes one step further. It's got a full REST API as well as a full service stack and everything for you. A platform as a service is more like uh, just uh, servers that are configured super awesomely and that you can scale with you know clicks of the buttons, but you have to code everything yourself. You have to make an API, right? Or you could just, you know, down, uh, download and then upload a open source project that's an API or something like Rails or something. Um, but anyhow, there are definitely easier ways than I described than the way I do it myself. Um, but those are still considered rolling it yourself, you know, rolling your own. Um, and so I would suggest that because it just leaves the most flexibility. And if you don't really have users uh, when you're first starting out, you need flexibility because you have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> right. You better be able to change something if you need to. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. So there was a couple questions that people asked us on Twitter when I said that we're going to do this talk. Um, we, I kind of talked about how to choose the right technology, I think. I For me, it's just like, uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Someone asked, how do you choose the right technology? I just stick with what I know. Um, there is a point where I'm like, you know what? I got some time. I want to learn a new thing. Like when I was doing Node.js, I... Did a lot of that for um, 
dialogues, my buddy Amir Malik did most all of it by far. Um, but I worked in Node.js there too, and then a couple other projects. So I like that because I love JavaScript. But um, right, I stick with what I know um, until I have the convenience of time. <laughs> right now, I do not. Right. How about you? I'm kind of in a yeah. I'm kind of in a similar boat where if I'm if I don't have the convenience of time, I stick with what I know. If I have to be fast, I'll I'll do what I'm fast at. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I kind of am in the same boat where if there's a if there's another solution, if there's something out there that uh, I know is the right way to do it, and I can do it. Uh, I, I'm more than always more than willing to to learn something new, and I try to be proactive about that too. Which is even that example where I was uh, or Interstellar Boundary Dodger, the game that we I talked about last time. The um, I had no reason to build that. I built it over a weekend just because I wanted to get an excuse to play with Sprite Kit just in case it came up again at some point. Um, it's the same sort of thing with the, with my portfolio. I built it in Node, not because it in any way. Uh, needs to be on Node or is relying on on some sort of super powerful thing that Node can do. Uh, I just did it because I wanted I wanted to learn it. I wanted an excuse to build it. Uh, and that way, at least when you do have the time and you do have the opportunity to to look at a new project, you can look at it with through through these actually through you know these glasses that you didn't even have before and say this is the right solution mm-hmm. uh, because I am I am aware of it and I'm I'm actually I actually have some experience now. Um, that's kind of my strategy. Totally. No, I totally agree. That's why I think that people who are designers right now definitely should learn, you know, not like in any urgency or whatsoever, but you should definitely learn how to code because it gives you a whole nother perspective on what works. And it, it just helps so much. It just helps so much. So if you want to better yourself as a designer, like a, a visual designer, I would definitely suggest learning code. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's how I choose technology. But someone also asked... Uh, testing for, uh, assumptions for market valid, val- validity and filling a niche and coming up with ideas that work. So for me to come up with ideas that work and test it out, um, I rarely, very rarely have I ever decided to like, I'm going to try to come up with an idea that everyone will use and love. Um, usually, like 90% of the time, it's like, man, I wish this existed. I'm going to do that. Right. And then guess what? I get to skip the market validation. So I don't have to do any of that stuff because I want this for myself, right? So I'll use it for myself. So when when I when I do actually finish like at least some part of the code base, or I'm almost getting close to launch, if I do want to double check to make sure that you know everyone's interested in this before I spend seven years of my life developing it, um, I will do what I do, what I suggest in the execute book. Uh, which is to release often, right? So get get something out, get out immediately. And at that point, you're not going to know for sure if people will be into your end product, right? Because it's not your end product, it's just your start product. Uh, but at least you'll have, uh, at least you'll have some um, validation from people. But I really wouldn't worry too much about that. You should make things that you want. Yeah, like you, you should, for sure. Yeah, you should be proud of what it is, whether or not people use it. Um, so... Yeah, I wouldn't look at everything as like, this is my chance to be Warren Buffett. I would just look at it as like, we're build, building piddly little apps, right? And and some things will change the world. For instance, Twitter, Facebook, those things change the world. But it doesn't mean that those guys who built it had to be thinking about, I want to change the world or this will change the world. They could, the reason Twitter came about is because they had to do a Silicon Valley pivot. Uh, what was it called? Odeo, right? Their podcasting thing. Ev's podcasting thing wasn't working out. 
Uh, Ev, Ev Williams made Blogger, and he sold that to Google, and then he um, and then he was going to do Audio, but that didn't work out. I think I'm saying it right, right? Audio, right? Sounds um, right. That didn't work out, so they had to do a pivot, and they were working on a couple other things because he got a bunch of funding and you know had a big office. Well, I don't know how big it was, but an office full of many people, and they Twitter was one of their pivots, and um, and it worked out. So definitely not them trying to change the world with Twitter, right? But once they realized it could, then yeah, then they did try to change the world with it, and for sure it has made a massive impact. But yeah, I don't think you need to. When you're coming up with ideas, you don't have to think along those lines. You're welcome to if you want to, but um, I would just, I would just try to better your world. <laughs> and what better way to do that than make what you want? What do you think? Yeah, no, uh, for sure, I agree. I, when I'm building it, so I guess this question is mostly about the apps that you're building for yourself, uh, and I'm I'm in a similar boat where I've I very rarely sat down and thought like I need to build something let me think of what niche I can fill or like what problem uh you know what what would the majority of people that I know be interested in having as an app like I don't uh I don't really think about it like that I think I think kind of what you're saying like I I look at if there's an app that kind of comes up either uh organically because it 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 speaks to me for some reason um and it could it could have legs and I see okay this thing could actually be uh, a legitimate uh go at something uh, but more often than not, it's something that's either uh, that satisfies like a, a personal problem or uh, a personal need um, or something that I would just get uh, I would enjoy using. Uh, or like I was saying before, too, I, I'll make things just to learn. I'll make things for the sole purpose of, of having an excuse to, to learn something. So I'm not I'm not concerned at the end of the day if uh, thousands and thousands of people are going to to dig it or even even see it. Um, but if it's something that I, 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 I learn through and then I can still put out there and maybe it generates some, some money, maybe it, maybe it generates some, uh, interest or some praise, uh, then sweet, you know, that's just a, that's a happy uh, byproduct. I feel, yeah. um, to, uh, Tobias Van Schneider, he just did a, he has an article that just came out, interview just came out on, uh, what was it? First, first round. Where he was talking about how he's a designer at Spotify, really rad stuff, worth checking out. He's super good. And his his article or his interview was all about why and how side projects should be stupid. Like fundamentally, that was like the headline was side projects should be stupid. It's a great article. Definitely give it a read. It really spoke to me. Where he was kind of talking about that. Where he's like he goes through a couple of his side projects. Uh, and how they were he, they were stupid little ideas that he he took time to to build out and to play with because they were stupid uh, and if they get big enough to a point where they are no longer stupid, you either have to make a decision that this is what you 're going to do now or you 're going to leave it uh, mm-hmm. it's a it 's a good article you should you should definitely check it out yeah i think I, I totally agree with that I think like people look at uh, the apps and companies that are making headlines, like for instance, Spotify, and they see like, wow, like that's a serious business. Like a bunch of serious dudes got together with some serious money, hired some serious people and made a serious business. And now they have to make serious decisions about this serious business. Right. But I don't think, I think there is a very, 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 very extraordinarily small percentage of human beings on the planet earth that are in that position. Right. The rest of us, are just doing whatever, right? We're not, we don't have access to that kind of stuff. And I don't think anybody should put themselves 
in that mindset of this is what I have to do. I have to follow these ways because you are not starting out with serious money, serious people, serious business, right? You're just doing stuff on your own and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think they are two so totally separate games that play by two totally, totally different rules, just like macro physics and quantum mechanics. Like they don't play by the same rules. They probably do, but we just don't actually have the uh, explanations for them at this point. But uh, my point is that... Um, Sorry, gosh, dang it. The train left me. My mind is blank at this moment. <laughs> you started talking about quantum mechanics. I know, I get just, so excited about that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it just bailed. Anyways, um, if, uh, when, I, when I made the remark that you know, what, what we do with apps is just piddly little stuff and it's not world-changing, like, that is true. And, and I think people should operate under that mentality more so than the other mentality because... Not every like you can have taste, right? When you see art, you some people have taste, some people don't. And if you're one of those people that know that you have good taste, and this is you know, this has been uh, validated over and over by you know your friends or people you meet. You have good taste. They always tell you that, right? You have good taste in apps, say, right? Let's just pretend that you have good taste in business. You know what will and won't work. That's why you blog about it and you tear down other people or you lift up other people, right? Um, just be. Just because you have taste does not mean you have the uh, experience in uh, business and making business decisions in order to make a business that is valuable, right? So, for instance, I've made a lot of stuff. You've made a lot of stuff. But I don't consider myself at the point where I could be like, Yo, I know what's up with businesses and apps and companies. I know how to make one that's going to take the crap off, right? Right. Nobody I follow on Twitter does either because otherwise they would all be freaking Steve Jobs or 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 Ev Williams or something. The only reason those guys did is because they've been in those serious businesses with serious investors with serious money multiple times. You could be a pro app maker that maybe will get 100 to 1,000 downloads, but that doesn't mean that you are somebody that could go and take on this huge, huge company responsibility and make it something successful. It definitely doesn't mean that because you've never done it before and you're still not doing it. So how could those two add up, right? And so I consider myself in that position. And like you, I like to do things for education for myself so I can learn more. And and I don't necessarily do it just to learn the technology. I do it to learn the business, to learn the industries, right? I did a domain thing because I thought it would be fun, but I also wanted to know where the domain industry was at. And by making a company around that, I get to find out. When, um, when I made a blogging platform called Rune, Sam and I found out where the blogging uh, industry is, not from an outsider's perspective, but from an insider's perspective, with support requests coming in, with uh, financial details and signups, all that kind of stuff we found out. And you can't know that stuff unless you do it. And I feel like, uh, with a little more time and a little more experience, I hopefully will be in a position where I can be like freaking, um, oh gosh, Elon Musk. Sorry, I can't believe I almost forgot his name. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, where I can be like Elon Elon Musk and and know what will do well because I have had the big money on the table, right? You can't just know that stuff 
Um, you can sit and have an outsider's opinion and everything, but you can't be the kind of guy that knows that stuff, right? I feel like I'm the kind of guy that knows how to make an app really quickly. And I know that. I know it so well. People will ask me for advice on how to do it. And I think I know how to do it pretty well because I've done it so many times. Yeah. So I think sure. I've got that down. But I definitely don't have billion-dollar business down because I've never even done it once. And so I feel like everything I do, that's why I say it's piddly little stuff because it, to me it, it's, it's awesome and it's what I do and I love it. So it's not like piddly in the sense of don't do it. It's piddly in the sense of compared to these other businesses, it's piddly, right? Um, no one's going to invest millions of dollars into something that doesn't make any money and doesn't really have any way to make money. But the only way I found that out is by doing it. And so I don't know. I, I look at building stuff that way. Like I don't expect everything I do to be this massive, huge company. It'd be great if it did, but I come into everything blind whenever I come into a new industry, whether it be the photos, whether it be blogging, whether it be domains or, or uh, with Plaza, with payments. I come into it blind and with Plaza is a little different because I had a similar app before. And so I have a little more experience. And that's why now Plaza is taking off, uh, you know, in a small way. But for me, it supports me now um, because of the fact that I've had this experience. And so, I don't know, don't put yourself into a bucket that you don't exist in, you know, like don't right. put yourself in that and just and just build with what you've got and be OK with that. Yeah, I like that. I like the the investigative uh, making be, be an investigative maker. Ooh, yes. That's Invest- good. I like it. Private eye. <laughs> <laughs> you can wear a Dick Tracy outfit. I, I can keep wearing my Dick Tracy outfit. Oh, you got it on right now. Your yeah, little yeah. watch. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, my, should, my yellow hat. I feel good. Yeah. Apple should make a Dick Tracy watch. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's, a, people, that's a long podcast. Yeah, sorry. Other people, I just want to get to these last couple of questions. Other people had a question about when's the right time to launch and how do you keep track of your projects and ideas? For me, projects and ideas, concept testing, I just keep it up in my head. And then I used to use Kickoff. I still kind of do. But now that no one else can download, it's kind of hard to use. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I don't know. So I it have, might as well be your head at that point. Yeah, it's, it's, I have uh, one thing going in Slack and the rest of the stuff is in Kickoff. Um, that's literally all I use that in my head. So yeah. how about you? Uh, a lot in the head, a lot that I'll, I'll use if I'm working with other people, you have to use something, right? So it's either Trello or uh, Asana or whatever the, the flavor of the week is. I'm in a couple slacks. I'm in a couple hip chats. It's all it's all kind of noise because there's so much of it, at least in my head. It's somewhat organized, even though, if not uh, completely transient. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of... That's kind of what I do. Yeah. And this, I just want to get this last question. When is the last or the right time to launch? So how about you? What do you think? Uh, all the time. I, I'm very much in, uh, on board with the philosophy of uh, if you're not embarrassed by your version one, you waited too long. Uh, I, I use that. I, impl- I, uh, every time I release an app, uh, I know that it's not quite uh, finished yet. Uh, and that's not that's not to say that I'm not uh, being meticulous or being perfectionist. I prefer the term meticulous um, because I am. I, uh, it's just referring to the fact that I know if I just continue to tweak and continue to iterate and continue to try to improve things without ever even seeing how people use it or seeing what people's response to it is, uh, I'm gonna. I'm, it'll be there forever. I'm never going to release it. Um, so you kind of you kind of. Uh, referred to earlier, you know, iterate often, uh, release often. Um, and I'm, I'm a big, uh, 
proponent of that. I think that's the it's a, it's the right way to go, especially when you're working for yourself, uh, especially when there's no there's no good reason uh, not to release. Uh, but I, people come up with plenty of reasons in their mind. Exactly, exactly, and that's uh, if you continue to do that, you're you're never going to release. Um, so yeah, I think the right time to launch is is always. Yeah, yeah. I think you can look at it one of two ways. You can be like, I'm gonna code for like two years in my basement, release the app, and then see if anyone buys it. Or you can code for two months in your basement, release the app with the idea of adding on all the features as you go. And if people like it, then you're getting paid to work instead of working for free for two years. You're getting paid by your users to work. You know, if you have an app that charges money, which you should, uh, you're getting paid to work instead of working for free. And if nobody likes it, you'll find out after two months instead of two years and you can move on to something else. So it's always good to uh, launch early. As far as the right time to launch, I think there is a, um, I think there is a way to do it better uh, than I think. How much? There's a scale, okay? So there's like a good way to do it and a bad way to do it. Um, It depends on how much is on the line. If you're just making something for fun, release it as soon as possible. It doesn't really matter if you have other people's money involved or. I don't know, or or a lot of your money wrapped up in it, and this is like a make or break kind of deal, then you do want to be careful about it. You want to line up as much press as you can before you launch. Um, You definitely don't want to get all of your features in because if you get all of your version 1 features in, then everything that you would update your app with will be kind of like a bug fix poozy thing, and you're not going to delight your users with anything that's been well thought out. It would just be stuff that like a user suggests, it would be right if it does this. Oh, I'll add that in. And these are your new features, which are user-dictated, right? So you need to save some of this stuff for post-launch. So that way you can be like, your users can be like, oh, man, this is dope. It's always but, getting updated. <laughs> and I don't and, think that's meant to sound like like you're being withholding. I think that's just meant to sound like you're... Uh, you know, you you can get to an MVP. You can get to you can prove something without necessarily having every feature on the whiteboard make it in. Yep. You can you can get to a releasable, proven thing that that can get out there and people will love, mm-hmm. without five or six features that are are lingering up there on the on the flowchart. And then you can still get those in and actually at that point not just be based off of what you and maybe some people that you're working with think people want, but you can actually hear what people want from their mouths. Yep. And get paid for it. And get paid, which is which is nice. Yeah. I think a better metric to say or to decide on is is not, you know, if you're, if you're looking at am I ready to launch, don't look at how far along your features are finished. Look at um, how far along, like, your, uh, your press is set up. Not press in the sense of, like, traditional, but, like, how many people have you told that this is going to be out? How many, like, if you're doing a photo, how many professional photographers have you reached out to, given them the beta, got their feedback, and, and, and made them excited about it so they'll blog about it? How many, how many different Mac blogs or, or web blogs have you talked to about what you're about to release? How, how much uh, time have you spent on, like, a video or your homepage website? Getting all that stuff. Um, so that way, when you do launch, there is a lot of content for people to read about it. Uh, that is more important for a launch um, than this, the feature set, right? The or, What's most important about the feature set is that it communicates your core. So like what is different about you? Make sure that feature or features are in there. 
all the other features are just, you know, bonuses, right? So if you're an app that somehow makes taking photos more simple, make sure you have that taking photos more simple part in there. And then all the other like filtering effects and all that kind of stuff is just extra that can be added on later. So as long as you're able to communicate your core, like what I am, you know, from your version one, then your feature set is good enough. What you, if you, if it's just you doing it by yourself and it doesn't really matter so much, then just launch. But if there's money wrapped up in it for yours or somebody else's or it's super important, I mean, everything you might think is super important, but I'm talking like this is going to affect other things than just my internet usage. Um, <laughs> then make sure you got all of your uh, press and, and media stuff lined up. Um, and then that's a better gauge of like, should I launch now? Do I have that stuff in place? So, I don't know. Yeah. That's my thoughts. But um, yep. I don't know. That was super fun to talk about how we build stuff. Definitely not everything. We didn't cover everything. And that's why we, this, is a, uh, this is a show because we're not going to do it in just one time. So you guys got to stick around. <laughs> yeah, let's do this again. Yeah, let's do it again. So hopefully next time we'll talk a little bit more on what we were just touching on recently on the business side of stuff. And, and Kieran and I talked about, ooh, 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 we're going to open up some numbers on uh, what exactly we've been able to achieve throughout our building history because there's a lot of uh there's a lot of superstars that are held up on high pedestals not that that's a bad thing um whatsoever um people are deserving of of you know praise for their hard work but if we're able to actually look at what they're doing it may make all the rest of us feel a little better about ourselves and be like oh okay they didn't get quite as much money or quite as popular as I thought they were now I don't feel so bad that it doesn't happen to me. You know? <laughs> so kind of getting an inside look on, on how we've been able to, what, what we've been able to achieve. And then um, as we bring on guests, we'll, we'll, we'll do that too. And, and you'll get to hear from all of our guests on what they've been able to achieve with their apps and all that kind of stuff. And, and definitely it's not, a, it's not a judgmental thing whatsoever. It's just it's an insight that is not talked about, right? It is occasionally, and it blows up when people decide to release their numbers on stuff. Um, but it's such a great learning tool. Uh, most people, their questions are around pricing. How do I price stuff? Or, or how much can this make? Right. And the only reason those questions exist is because no one's talking about it. And so it would be kind of cool if, um, if we were able to share that more with each other. Right. Or I've released this app, and here's what it's doing. But is this, this doesn't feel great. Is it? How is this relative to... What everyone else is doing. Exactly. It doesn't exactly. feel great, but is it normal? Yes. Yes, I'm excited about this. So y'all stay tuned with Narwhals because we can be touching on that later. So All right. Is that all for you? That's it. That's all for me. All right, guys. Thanks for sticking with us and we'll see you next time. See ya.